Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 31. It can be found on page 587 in your pew Bibles or 1121 in the large print. Isaiah 40, 21 to 31. In a section, excuse me, that helps to give us a little perspective. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you've made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We hear from so many voices that compete for our attention. So many claims of uh, what this world is about and how our lives are to be lived. So God, we thank you that you have not left us uh, searching among all those voices. God, that you have given us your word from your perspective, showing us the way that is true and that is right. God, we pray that you would help us to have ears to hear this morning. That as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that it wouldn't just be in one ear and out the other, but that it would go into our minds and into our hearts, and that God, by your word and your spirit, that our lives would be changed. That we would be made even more today into the people that you created us to be, in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint." Turning then to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, we have another uh, section giving us proper perspective. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is preaching mainly to his disciples about what the kingdom of God is like. 
can be found on page 787 in your pew Bibles or 1508 in the large print. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, sometimes it's very helpful to have a new perspective. I've done a lot of driving lately, and I will tell you, when you take a wrong turn, and yes, I have done that recently, It is very nice to have the little GPS thing where you can kind of zoom back out and say, okay, where are we now? (laughs) And where do we go from here? How do we get back on track? Um, Perspective. Getting that perspective, very helpful. Being able to see through things is also very helpful in this sense. I remember when I was a child, always, I loved Superman. Batman's still my guy, but Superman was pretty cool too. I really liked that he had that x-ray vision, able to see through walls, right? How cool would that be? Christmas, you know, is coming and all the packages are wrapped under the tree that you can just see right through. Yeah? That would be so cool. C.S. Lewis points out, though, being able to see through things is only helpful if you don't see through everything, (laughs) You see through a window so you can see what's on the other side. But if you see through everything, then it's the same as not seeing at all. (laughs) But it would have come in really handy when we used to play this youth group game. And for those of you who've never played the game, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin it for you right here. But it was a game where you'd have uh, a group of kids and and you have a race. There's a line of caramel apples on sticks. And when you said go, you know, Four or five kids would rush up, they'd grab one, and they'd see how quickly they could eat the whole caramel apple and then run back and, you know, the whole thing. What they didn't know is that though they all looked alike, one of them was a caramel onion. 
And so, you know, they all rush up there, and several of the kids bite right in, and they're going as fast as they can. And one kid, <laughs> it's kind of the butt of the joke for the day, <laughs> and everybody gets a good, good laugh. But wouldn't that be great? If you had that x-ray vision, you could see through the caramel, and you could tell the difference between the apple and the onion without having to bite into it first. When we're looking at the difference between the kingdom of God versus the kingdoms of the world, we live very much in a, in a world that is all caramel-covered and trying to tell us that the onions are just as good as the apples and that there's really no difference in why don't you just help yourself. However, Jesus has told us again and again that the kingdom of, this, the kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. And it's not like, you know, if, you're, if the country were taken over and now you have a different country, but they're pretty much the same and all that really matters is you have to change your you know, driver's license and passport information. It's just a matter of change of paperwork. No, he says this is a completely different system, a completely different way of operating, a different way of living than the ways that the kingdoms of this world present to you. And so what he gives us is this perspective, this GPS overview of where we are and how to navigate in this life. And what he gives us is this x-ray vision of how to see through the caramel coating on the lies of the world. So we can see them for what they are. And in no place is this really more different than in the area that has to do with money. And we're going to look at that today a little bit. But here's what we're going to say about this. First up, we're not talking about money. Everybody sigh a little relief there. Because pretty much every time you see in the Bible where it talks about money, and money is brought up a lot in the Bible, it's never about money. And that's the whole point. It's always about the heart. And in the systems of this world, it's always about the money. And so when we read the Bible passages that talk about money, we think it's about the money. But it's not. It's always about the heart. And what we're going to see is there's a, uh, there's a big difference between the way the world sees people and the way that God sees people in relationship, in relationship to money. And it is this. In the systems of the world, very often a person's worth is directly tied to their net worth. And in the kingdom of God, Net worth means nothing. (laughs) And it is really a challenge if you have been brought up in a system that says net worth means everything to adjust to a system that says net worth means nothing. But there's something better and more important than all of that. So here's where we are. We're in in James chapter 1, and we're just going to look at a few verses And James is giving this advice to believers and saying, here's how you are to live. And it's advice that only makes sense if you understand what the kingdom of God is all about. It says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed 
is the one who perseveres in a trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So there you go. Let's go through a little more slowly. He begins by saying, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So who is he talking to first? He's talking to people who are Christians, but who have no money, who are poor financially, and who are kind of at the bottom of the ladder socioeconomically. People are looking down on them. And he says, you know what you need to do? If that is your situation, you need to take pride in your high position. Now, if you've been a Christian for any time at all, when you hear that word pride, you ought to immediately go, wait a second. <laughs> what is this talking about? Because pride is that chief of all sins. It's pride that leads us to say, I know better than God does. And he says, go this way, but I know better, and I'm going to go my own way, and I'm sure it will be fine. And we are warned again and again and again against pride, setting ourselves, ourselves up above anyone or anything else. And yet here he is saying we're to take pride. Maybe he means something else here. Not about take pride in myself, but take pride in what? Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Their high position. Hmm. In Ephesians chapter 1, I marked it, but I marked so many things, it's hard to find it now. All right, there we go. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Do you hear this? It's saying your value is not determined by your net worth. How much money you have in, the, in your bank account does not determine how much value you have as a person. What determines your value as a person is that God has created you, and he has loved you, and he has cared for you, and he has given his own son to die for you that you would be raised up with him in glory and has adopted us as sons. That is what we can take pride in. If we have no money at all, he says, here's what you do. The whole rest of the world is looking down on you and saying, you're not worth anything. You're not worth listening to. Let me tell you, in this world, you know money talks, right? There are probably a lot of people who have very similar views as Donald Trump, but they're not going to get to run for president. He gets to because he's got enough money. And so, people listen. Money talks. And if somebody has the same views, but they have no money, they have no megaphone. And they don't, have, they don't get to speak. And the world says, your opinions don't matter. Because you don't matter. But when we read the scripture, what we find is, God says, 
The money is irrelevant. You are valuable. Enough, you have enough value and worth that I would give my son for you. Now that's something we can take pride in. That high position that is higher than anything the world has to offer. But he goes on. He says, but the rich, they've already done one extreme, we'll go to the other. The rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. And he describes what that's like for a wildflower to pass away. And he says, the same thing's going to happen. You know, people spend their life getting more and more money. And in the end, for what? There's a story I think I told recently, but kind of off the cuff without looking it up first. So I think I butchered it. I'll get it right this time. The story that goes like this. Knowing he would die soon, a rich man had all his assets converted into gold bars. He put them in a big bag on his bed, draped his body over the bag of gold, and breathed his last. When he woke up, he was at the gate of heaven. St. Peter met him at the gate, and with a concerned look on his face said, Well, I see you actually managed to get here with something from earth, but unfortunately you can't bring that in. Oh, please, sir said the man. I must have it. It means everything to me. Sorry, my friend, said St. Peter. If you want to keep that bag, I'm afraid you'll have to go, you know, to the other place. You don't want to go there, believe me. Well, I won't part with this bag. Have it your way, returned Peter. But before you go, would you mind if I looked in the bag to see what it is that you're willing to trade eternal life for? Sure, said the man. You'll see I could never part with this. St. Peter looked in the bag and with a puzzled look on his face said to the man, You're willing to go to hell for pavement? The things in this world that seem to have such great value in the kingdom of God don't. Jesus tells a story about a man who builds a bigger barn to store all the wealth that he's hoarding. Then he dies that very night. It's called a fool. And so it says the rich should take pride in their humiliation. How are they humiliated? The rich are humiliated when they realize that all of the money that they've been gathering to uh, show the world how great and important they are, when they realize that in the kingdom of God, it means nothing. It's pavement. (laughs) They should take pride in this, though. This is not something they're to be ashamed of. They're humiliated and it's worth nothing. It's like, oh, no. They should take pride in this because the blinders have been removed. The blindfold has been removed. They have that x-ray vision. They can see now that it's caramel-covered onions. And there's something worth so much more than that. We already read from the beginning of Ephesians. Here's from the beginning of St. Peter. Of St. Peter? First Peter. <laughs> from Peter. Uh, He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus said, what good is it for a person to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? And what we see here is that the salvation of our souls is worth even more than gold. Worth more than gaining the whole world. And so the, those who are poor and looked down upon by the world should see things differently. Should see how they have been raised up with Christ. And they have a value and an importance that the world may not recognize. But that doesn't matter. Because the opinion of the one who does matter is what matters. And the rich, on the other hand, should take pride in their humiliation. Both sets, by the way, rich and poor alike, understanding now that it's all in Jesus. It's not about how much money I do have or don't have. It's all about who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And that is a whole different perspective. And it changes everything. So why is it so important to know this? Well, you notice... uh, Verse 12, says, Blessed is the one who perseveres on a trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, in the parable Jesus tells of the soils, there's four different kinds of soils. There's the path and the stony soil and the thorns and then the good soil, where something actually grows. And the seed goes on all of it. But in the first three, there's crop failure. The one that has the stony soil, if you remember, the rocky stuff, it says that the plants actually start to grow for a little while. It looks like this person's actually the real deal as a Christian. But what shows the difference is when trouble and persecution comes, they quickly fall away. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And what James is saying is don't be that Christian. Don't be that kind of person who has it on the outside but who's never had the roots go down to the source of life. And that's where it is. If we are constantly going back to Jesus, constantly going back to the cross, constantly looking to Jesus for our worth and our importance no matter what society tells us, when we are constantly looking to Jesus to see his perspective on the world and our lives and where we're to go and how we're to live, that's where we have a power and a joy that nothing else can change. I've had a few conversations, or I've had some conversations with a few of you about the current situation our country's in. And um, I really do believe that we are entering a time that is going to be very new for a lot of us, in uh, in the church especially, in this sense. There's been a time in this country, not that long ago, 
where uh, if you were to say that you're a Christian, or a Christian business, that was a good way to make money. You could come to church every Sunday. It's a great way to network, find more potential clients. That's not the world we're going to be living in much longer if we're even there anymore. Now to call yourself a Christian, it's going to cost something. Now when people find out you're a Christian business, they may go somewhere else. Now when they find out you're going to church on Sundays, they may not want to have anything to do with you because you're one of those people. To be identified with Christ does not just mean to be identified with his resurrection and his glory and the life that he has to offer, which it is. But it's also to be identified with him in his suffering and in the rejection of the world that doesn't get it, who sees it all from a very different perspective and wants to do away with the light that shines in the darkness. And so for us as Christians, there may be times even in the near future where we will suffer, endure persecution on account of the word because we identify with Jesus. And that will be when we find out where our true allegiance is. That will be where we find out if money that has whispered to us for so long, you can trust me. I can provide for you. I can get you out of situations that you don't want to be in. I can take you places that you really want to go. And when we find out that to identify with Christ may mean we have to turn away from the lies of money. We'll find out where our hearts really are. And that's why it's so important to have this perspective that says the amount of money on that scale, as much as it may matter in the kingdoms of this world, doesn't matter in the kingdom of God at all. And what we need to hold on to more tightly than anything else is who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And in those times of testing, in those times of persecution, it says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the one who keeps on with Jesus and says, if the whole rest of the world turns away, if the whole rest of the world turns against me, if everything I have is stripped away, if all I have is Jesus, that's all I need. And keep moving forward. If we're doing that, he says that person is blessed because they will have stood the test. They will have shown where their heart really is. Remember I said at the beginning, this isn't about money. It's about the heart. Is our heart set on the money or is it set on Jesus? It says, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You may have noticed that in this world, television, radio commercials make a big deal about credit scores. You notice that? And how many different ways there are to check your credit score. As though that number matters a lot. I want to encourage you to take a different approach. And every time you hear one of those commercials, and I say this to sort of plant that little mental uh, flag for you, so every time you hear one of those commercials, because I know you're going to hear them, 
And they start asking somebody what their credit score is, or if they know their credit score, what their number is. I want immediately in your head to think of the number 316. Not that that's your credit score. For John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That number, 316, matters way more than what your credit score is. It's not about what's in the bank account. It's not about what that money can buy or what it has to offer. It all has to do with where your heart is. Are you trusting in the wealth? Are you trusting in the money? Are you agreeing with the viewpoint of the world that that determines your worth? Or are you looking at Jesus? Are you putting your trust and your hope completely and fully in him? That he has given us redemption. And that he has opened the way to eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.